This episode of State of the Nova Nation is sponsored by our friends at Homefield. Introducing our new sponsor, Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis. Homefield brings you incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. They dig through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs. Homefield launched its Villanova collection last Saturday, and this collection features 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, and crewnecks, all with vintage marks. I received my Nova Nation Homefield shirt this past week, and it completely exceeded my expectations. I love the design, the material is super soft, and for all my female Wildcat fans out there, the cut and the style is perfect to wear to a game and casual enough to wear to cheer on the cats. To explore the full collection, be sure to use the promo code VUHOOPS at checkout. That's VUHOOPS, all one word, all capital, for a discount on homefieldapparel.com to get all the apparel you need for March. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and Pat, we said on Thursday's episode that we had a 7 and an 8 respective confidence level in Villanova advancing to the second week of the NCAA tournament, and we both should have had it at 10 because Villanova has advanced to the Sweet 16 They are awaiting a 2018 tournament title game rematch against the 11 seed Michigan Wolverines, who I will make sure to tell everyone that you didn't say deserve to be in the tournament (laughs) on the outset, but Villanova is still dancing. We have recaps on the docket here. We have a recap of the entire weekend of one of the best basketball weekends in recent memory. So how are you feeling what are your big thoughts from this weekend? What was your viewing experience like? Hey, listen, if if you know me, you know that I am a nervous and anxious person. Um, so so having a seven out of ten confidence actually in Villanova moving on is pretty good for me. Sure, that was that was good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, of course thrilled with that. Uh, I also have gotten most things wrong about this NCAA tournament. Um, mm-hmm. Michigan very clearly one of them. Uh, but we, we will discuss that more. Viewing experience was was great. You know, Thursday, it was nice to just be able to to watch the games. Uh, Friday, of course, watch the Nova game kind of from here because it was during work hours. <laughs> so I, I had nowhere I could go there, but did watch uh, some of the night games on Friday night and Saturday night from some local bars around me, which was a, a ton of fun. It's uh, it's just great to have the NCAA tournament and, and things more back to normal and be able to enjoy it all. Absolutely one of my favorite times of the year. I feel the same way. And it truly feels like all of these games have the potential to be close, which you just don't get in a lot of other sports. Mm -hmm. So, and it seems like, especially over the weekend, every single game you flipped through, there was something to watch, whether it was caliber of opponent, storyline, coaching line, something, there was something to watch for everybody. So similar to what we did last week, we're going to spend today Recapping Villanova's two games against 15-seed Delaware and 7-seed Ohio State, which will be exciting. We'll also take a look back at the entire weekend. We have some fun questions to go through to do a nice little recap episode, and then we will save Thursday for Villanova's specific matchup against 11-seed Michigan 
and hopefully an Elite Eight matchup as well. So hopefully. Let's get into it. Uh, you mentioned work hours. Yes. You and I had both, you and I both had a little bit of a, a stunted viewing experience for this Delaware game because I think the tep time was 240. Yeah, and it got moved to Friday. 40 because uh, the game Three. went long before it. Yeah, which I mean it wasn't magically different for either of us. So no. I didn't get to watch this game live. You did it a little bit at the end, but luckily it wasn't uh, too much of a nail biter to say the least. Yeah, no, exactly. So I basically missed the first half and then had to start watching it on delay, um, yeah. which, which was fine. I, I caught up by the second half. So that was, that was it all good impressive there. impressive that you do that. Are you stressed during commercials? Cause I've done that before having to watch it delayed and I'm just so nervous. I'm going to miss, miss the end of the tape. Uh, I record like an hour and a half after uh, to always make sure. And I'm a professional at this stuff because being a European soccer fan and, and having games on in the middle of yep. the afternoon all the time, uh, I have to record mm-hmm. games and watch them with my notifications off on my phone many, many Fair times. Enough. So Fair this enough. was not my first rodeo uh, having to record to make sure that I can enjoy every second of it. Uh, as, as you said, you know, Nova, the first 10 minutes, I'd say they weren't great, but it wasn't even that Villanova was playing poorly. Its shots weren't falling there. So it allowed for Delaware to stay into this game. And as soon as Nova started getting into a bit of a rhythm, they ran away with things. And what really made all the difference here was the three-point shooting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Delaware made three three three-point field goals in the game. Justin Moore made four three-point field goals uh, just by himself. And Nova as a whole shot 13 of 28 from beyond the arc, showing a really deadly shooting um, from out there. Yeah, that was going to be my leading statement mm-hmm. too. It had to be. It had to be. It's really hard to win a basketball game when you shoot three for twenty from three. That's fifteen percent for those keeping track. Uh, analytics not on your side there. Forty-six percent from three for Villanova. <laughs> it's so funny because I think if you are a, I mean, casual makes it seem like you're not plugged in. If you are a fan of another team in college basketball and this is your first time seeing a lot of these teams, you watch that Villanova game. And you think this is the Villanova from years past. You think these are the lethal shooters, the 2016, 2018 teams that are going to just burn the house down with their offense. So it was funny that that was the first glimpse that people get. And I think by the second game, people were able to see how much of a force Villanova's defense is, especially this year. But it was nice to see everything clicking. I think Villanova Mm -hmm. needed to have one of these games. It was one of the few no hiccup, easy breezy games of the weekend, honestly, especially for a high seed. No Villanova starter played more than 33 minutes, which I think Ooh. was really important. And Villanova had 16 assists. I thought ball, mm-hmm. ball movement was really, really good. They were able to shut down the few offensive threats that Delaware had on its roster. And I really didn't have any complaints about this game. I felt pretty good. No, there's not too much to go through in here. I will say for Delaware, one thing that can make you nervous, especially if we extrapolate into Michigan, is that Delaware went 19 of 30 from from two, which is, of course, not what you want to see. And what they did and where they struggled and how Nova was able to bury them is they went away from what was working and they started chasing the game through throwing up threes. And just with how Villanova was shooting in that game, it was never going to work. Um, so mm-hmm. once that started to pile up and you had the miss, miss after miss after miss, and Nova just kept drilling you from deep in a multitude of different ways from, from a bunch of different players as well, which I, I think was great to see kind of the, the three-point shooting get spread out where Daniels hurt you, you know, Gillespie, Moore, Samuels, Dixon hit a three. They, they were all over the place out there. So that was really big. And then, of course, we have to mention our old friend Dylan Painter um, because mm-hmm. – 
you know, with, with the matchup and everything, I think Villanova did a great job at exploiting him and where they kept trying to get him switched on to Slater or Samuels and have them go at him and, and exploit the lack of quickness there uh, inside. So certainly a little bit of familiarity uh, with Jay Wright and, of course, knowing Dylan Painter. And, and you saw it a lot, and it's why Delaware had to kind of limit his minutes because Nova was certainly looking to, uh, to go at him when they could. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he was 100% healthy. No, he's still coming back from injury. Yeah, this this whole season for him hasn't been 100%. But you're right. It was athleticism going into it, and it was athleticism coming out of it. Villanova, mm-hmm. again, which is not one of the most athletic teams in the country, no. they were able to ex- exploit that. And without that two-point option, with all those three-point shots not falling, Delaware just, just couldn't get anywhere going. But I have a segue question for you. Please. You mentioned that that could be one of the weaknesses or, or weaknesses might be too harsh of a word, but you know what I mean? The, the two point shooting from Delaware and how they were able to get into the paint at time. How reassured are you after both games that Villanova played that Eric Dixon is back to mid season form? I'm, I'm very pleased with what I saw from Eric Dixon in both games. I thought he was really active which is great. Mm -hmm. And to see him getting those touches and even being able to, you know, work inside out, if you want to put it into him and know that he can kick out, which is something we saw from him a couple of different times. It's so intriguing because as we see in the big East tournament, Jay Wright went completely small and Dixon didn't factor in. I wonder how much of it was Dixon clearly not feeling well, uh, as was discussed for the big East tournament, but he played a very big role in both games. and, And I was very happy with what I saw from him. Offensively and defensively. Yeah. I've mentioned it before and it wasn't a joke when I said it, but I didn't have a lot behind it, (laughs) but I, I really do feel this way now when his offense is going, it makes him more of a complete player. He looks better on defense when Eric Dixon is able to get touches on offense. And it's never like he's been denied the ball, No, but all of a sudden, all of a sudden you see him, becoming an option on offense around the perimeter, (laughs) which if we had talked about that at the beginning of the season, we would have laughed. So of course you love to see him down low. You love to see him posting up painter and an Ohio state team that did have some size, but largely wasn't very physical on defense. It was nice to see Dixon come back into this versatile athletic three-dimensional player that we saw UConn the first time around and in that big Xavier win because he was very much absent in the Big East tournament. And I was curious to see how that game plan would switch in this NCAA tournament, knowing that you would get a lot more bigs than you even saw in the Big East conference. Sure. I I do think it's a little bit of a product of the circumstances as well in the Ohio State game where Brandon Slater was basically in foul trouble for the entire game. Both games. Uh, Exactly. And with that, you know, Daniels was of course going to come in and you're more apt to play Dixon because we know the trust isn't really there for, for Antoine Archidiakono to play those extended minutes coming out of that. So I, I do think that played into it as well, but I don't want to take anything away from it because I thought Eric played great, you know, using that three point shot, two of two uh, in that Ohio state game to say a shout out to our friend of the show, Brandon Riley shooter for Eric Dixon. Now it's, (laughs) I love it. I know. I love every time he tweets it. And I don't know. I I don't actually, here's a question for you. Is this enough of a sample size for you? Eric Dixon has taken 31, three point attempts this year. He's made 16 of them. That's over 50%. I think it is. I think it is enough of a sample size. 
Did yeah. I have full confidence that Eric Dixon was going to drill that last minute three at the end and seal the game? Oh, what no. guts? What, what guts though for <laughs> a sophomore guts? to take that shot? I, I I'm going to say something that I it might be crazy, but despite how thin Villanova is from a depth perspective, I don't know if any other team left has as many guys that can do as many things as Villanova players do. Ooh, interesting. You just don't see big guys taking those type of shots. Actually, Hunter Dickinson can. He can. And he of, can. Co- of course, we'll on Thursday, it. we'll talk yeah, about exactly. that a lot. <laughs> but not a lot of big guys can be counted on to make that type of shot. And Eric Dixon can now. Yeah. We, again, it's, it's like a, a, a Samuel situation. Do we want to see it more? Probably not. But it's nice that we know he can hit it. It's important to have it in your tool bag. And uh, yeah. we saw it from Dixon in one of the biggest moments when Villanova really needed someone to put the game away. And, well, you would go through the list of options and say, it's Gillespie, it's Moore, it's Samuel is going to be one who takes a shot in that situation. For Eric Dixon to do it, I think it only goes to to show the development that he's had to, to be able to A, put up that shot, and B, drill it. Yeah. I think this is going to go down as one of Jay Wright's best coaching jobs, actually, because as talented as this team is, there were so many questions preseason, during season. It will be after the season, too, about depth. And yep. they haven't really had to deal with injuries, knock on wood, but just who would slot into what role. And they've been able to do it without an eighth man. They've been able to go small. They've been able to go big. Eric Dixon has been able to adapt into this position where he can be a relied upon player on offense and defense. And I just think it's so impressive. And it's so fun to watch. And it's so fun to see him get a little bit of that glory because – He's not um, underrated or under been behind the shadows or anything, but it was just, I think he deserved that moment, especially coming off of an illness stretch and being quiet down the stretch. I think he needed that. Talk about adjusting on the fly too. And, and lack of an eighth man, Jordan Longino didn't play in either of these games, you know, did, yes. dealing, dealing with the knee injury and, and Nova was still able to, you know, I, the depth is not extensive. That's not new. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> that's not a shocker to anyone. You know, the bench, the bench minutes are Caleb Daniels. And then we see basically, it looks like he's going to stretch it out just in tiny stretches to let Archie Diacono and Antoine come in to just give guys like your, your Gillespie's, your Moore's, your Samuels and Slater's a, a, a quick breather and, and kind of as Jay always does it. If you'll notice, he usually plans his uh, uh, substitutions around media timeouts just to try yeah, and like 12, 16. Ex- exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not a coincidence. We'll, we'll yeah. put it that way. And Longino being out does make a difference for this team. Cause he put in some really good minutes in that big East tournament. And so I, I still feel not still feel, I feel pretty good coming off of those two games, knowing that they lost a, you know, a key contributor, key contributor might not be fair, but someone that has the potential to play some minutes as Jay has shown and still come out on top the way that they did in both these games. That's, that's a good sign. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about Longino's lack of an impact in these games because he was sidelined. Right. I don't know much at all about his return or his, his diagnosis to you before huh. I even continue. I, first off, I feel sick for him that yeah. he, he's not able to participate right now. Um, I think that's very Villanova that we don't know what it is. <laughs> True. And we're not going to know what it is other than a knee injury popped up in practice and he's day to day. Of course that can mean anything. Uh, just reading between the lines, I do not expect to see him in any games in this NCAA tournament. Mm. But uh, if he can come back, that would certainly be a boost. Yeah, it must have been some freak thing, either during a game that we didn't think was that big of a deal or after the Big East tournament or something, because 
it really came out of the blue and I feel the same way. It doesn't look great for the future, but I was going back and forth a lot about how much this impacts the team. And when we were having conversations mid season, it felt like every single episode was about the bench Mm -hmm. depth. And you and I agreed that it was less about what Longino actually did and more about how he spells the starters. Like you just said, And then I'm looking at the box score. Caleb Daniels played 30 minutes against Delaware and 34 against Ohio State. He's a starter now, basically. Those are starter minutes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about fatigue, that now extends to Caleb Daniels. In the past, it it hasn't because, yes, he's always been that six starter, quote-unquote, but he was usually in the 20 range. He is fully fledged in that now. So now it's just become one less guy. Arch and Brian are only averaging three to five minutes. That is really not much, especially for a Brian Antoine that weeks ago, I we probably would have put money that we weren't going to see Brian Antoine in the tournament because Jay has been very clear that he hadn't trusted him in mm-hmm. regular season games. So to see him even contributing contributing a little bit in the tournament, I think is impressive on his part. Any bench minutes that they can get for just any uh, short span of time is going to be really important just to let these guys catch a breath. It's you're not going to get the impact. Like you're not going to get Brian Antoine come out and score 13 points off the bench. You you can't, Mm -hmm. you can't rely on that. If when Villanova wins these games, it's going to be done through six guys and it's, will they be able to get enough of a blow uh, for these guys to continue to go full throttle? And this has become such a, nationwide issue i mean a baylor team lost that didn't have crier or tumachachua Chachua, yeah matthew meyer halfway through that game you see oh man what like creighton what a impressive creighton the they opposite have... yeah <laughs> they, they just keep winning no matter who's on the floor cal brenner nemhard worn out i'm trying to think seton hall wasn't a deep team memphis isn't a particularly deep team all these teams are struggling with depth at this point of the season. So you just hope that your starters are cut from a different cloth. And luckily I think that Villanova's are. So I, it's crazy to say, but I no longer think that the bench, the depth issue is at the forefront of my mind. And it had been at multiple points during this season. I'm, I'm actually okay with that too. Uh, at, yeah. at this point, just with how Caleb has grown. Uh, I think that's really important. Uh, and also, when you get the impact that Jermaine Samuels has made over the last Oof. couple of games, kind of makes a big difference on what this team can do. Are you ready to hear me speak for about three minutes straight? Well, this is why I teed you up, because I knew I knew this had to be in there for you. I'm like, well, I could talk about uh, him, but I know Emma wants to talk about thank him. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, people. So start your timers. Here we go. We're going to talk more about Ohio State after this, but Pat segued too perfectly. So right after the Butler game, Villanova's last regular season game of the season, we started asking some questions about Jermaine Samuels. And specifically, I remember asking you, Pat, do we see this this version of Samuels because Butler is spectacularly bad? (laughs) Or is this signaling a shift in Jermaine Samuels' game? And I'm going to present you some numbers, and I'm going to see which, which conclusion you come to. So at Butler, he had 15 points, four rebounds. Against St. John's in the Big East tournament, he had seven points, eight rebounds off the bench. Remember, that was the back spasms game. All of that came in the second half. Against UConn, 21 points, 12 rebounds. Against Creighton in the Big East tournament final, 
five and eight. Again, Nova scored 54 points in that game. So it was much less of an offensive game. In the NCAA tournament against Delaware, he had 15 and nine. And against Ohio State, he had 17 and eight. That is a six game average of 13 points and eight boards on the season. He's 10 and six, 10 points, six rebounds. Jermaine Samuels has a, has ascended to a level where Jay Wright himself said that Jermaine Samuels is carrying this team right now. W- what do you think about this, this six game stretch for him? Well, it seems that big game Jermaine has come back. Uh, and it come back January and has come back at a, at a beautiful time for them. No, this is, this is more than just a little bit of a stretch right now. This is a player that, as we said, it, you know, we looked at to be relied upon going into the season and had some real struggles this year, but when this team has really needed him as they go into postseason basketball with the Big East tournament, the NCAA tournament has completely turned it on. And has made such an impact. It's not just scoring, though the scoring numbers have looked great. I love his aggression inside. He's shown the ability to pull the trigger on the three, which is not something I want him doing often. But when he shoots, you know, three, maybe four a game, that's okay in my book. Mm -hmm. Because it still at least keeps the defense honest. I think of the track down block or not track. That was Slater in the Delaware game, but uh, the block that he had in the Delaware game, we know how active he is on defense. He's a big part of what Nova is doing. Nova had seven steals against Ohio state. He had two of them. Jermaine Samuels is playing his best basketball of the season right now. It could not come at a more important time, especially as we said, as this team has continued to evolve and score in different ways. A part that has not been a part of the equation is Jermaine Samuels chipping in 15, 17, 20 Mm. points. We just haven't seen it very often this year. So you add that on top of the other versatility of this team. That's what makes you dream a little bit is once he starts to to get things going. And he most certainly has over the last three weeks, really. Yeah, it's it's efficiency, too. It's just taking good shots. He's finally starting to hit those threes. He's physical, man. He is so physical. I agree with you. It, it has absolutely made me dream. I'll, I'll go even far to think this is his most impactful play of his entire career. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I don't think it's crazy that Jay said Jermaine Samuel's efforts have been what, the main reason why Villanova is in its current place right now. You need Colin. You need Justin every single night. Vill- Jermaine Samuels puts Villanova over the edge. I, I think that without a doubt right now. I'm so impressed with what he's done lately. And yeah. it, I said, if, if we're going to give him his arrows, we can, it's the slings and arrows. We could also bring him up. And that is certainly what he deserves with the stretch of basketball he's playing right now. Give him those flowers. Yeah. Love it. Speaking of flowers, I'm going to give another guy a huge amount of credit. Alan Ray. Absolutely <laughs> yes. nailed the Villanova Ohio state game plan. Uh, and if you're not sure what I'm talking about, yep. go follow him on Twitter, a Ray for three. Such a great he, Twitter follow. He, I don't remember if he um, took a screenshot of something or just said it. He might've taken a screenshot. I think it was a screenshot. Cause I know what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yes. He highlighted that Ohio state's usage rate of EJ Liddell and Milwaukee Branham is one of the highest in the country. They are uber reliant on those two players. And if you watched even a minute of Villanova's 71 to 61 win over Ohio State on Sunday, that point looks pretty good. Hmm. He said, as long as Liddell and Branham are contained, nobody else can do anything. EJ and Branham went off. They were studs, but nobody else could do anything. There were points in the game. One specific time I remember, similar to what Jay Wright did, 
Holtman tried to get the most rest that he could for his two stars so he would rest them right before immediate timeout. But the players on the court for Ohio State were too nervous to even shoot. Nobody else on that team had any sort of desire to play offense besides those two guys. And luckily Villanova had enough in the tank at the end to get it done because once those two guys were stopped, it was over for Ohio State. Yeah, and another number that I gave you was that they hadn't won any of their last 13 games when they shot under 48%, and Villanova held them to 42% uh, shooting Oof, in that just game. Just barely. I know, they, they did it, but it, it was close. Uh, Branham, I was so impressed by We all know EJ Liddell. We know the guy's a complete baller and does everything for them, and he certainly did uh, against Villanova. But what Branham was able to do and the guts – that he showed as a freshman, mind you, uh, was, I thought, incredibly impressive, especially in that second half. It felt like he was never going to miss again uh, at points. And even when he did miss, the ball rimmed out uh, yeah. most of the time. So I was super impressed. They were struggling a little bit because Zed Key was coming off of an injury, and uh, as was Young, who ended up getting the, the concussion, which was very scary. Poor guy. Yeah, was yeah. they say Ugh. that could be his fourth concussion within a year. Um, yes. Yeah, so sad. No, it's, it's awful. So it, he clearly wasn't up to par with them. So yeah, it was a two man show for Ohio state and they were able to keep a minute because it was mm-hmm. quite the impressive two man show. Uh, but it's also a very stark contrast to what this Villanova offense has turned into where you had four players and double figures uh, for mm, the cats. Nice point. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, my one point about Branham is that he will absolutely not be at Ohio state for three more years. Oh, I, I, he, yeah. Yep. <laughs> man, he is good. I actually just looking at it now, he went three for eight from three. I thought he hit at least three more threes. Wait, he didn't felt go like 19 for 20. <laughs> yeah. It felt like it at times. And he is a beast of a man too. He is huge. Yeah. Liddell was even better than I thought. And I had extremely high expectations He's so good off the dribble. He creates his own shots. He was able, I mean, he hit that wild three, but he has, he has a decent shot as well. Certainly. It just wasn't enough. I was really impressed with, like you said, how balanced Villanova was, how well Eric Dixon played, how well Colin shot and how physical Jermaine was. And Mm -hmm. it was a full fledged effort versus a two man show for Ohio state. Some quick points here. Uh, First off a wire to wire win. For Villanova, even though it did not feel like no, it, but it was <laughs> no, not easy to do in the NCAA tournament, especially you know going up against a, a seven seed like that from the Big Ten. So it, impressed there. Uh, I also I do really look at the toughness of this team. Thinking about when that sh- that three ball went in to cut it to sixty to fifty eight, Jay Wright did not call timeout, and it's because he couldn't call timeout because he only had two remaining and it was about what four and a half minutes or so to go when it got to a two-point game and he didn't want to waste it wouldn't be a waste but didn't want to use one of his timeouts and only be left with one for the rest of the game so he left it out there to his leaders to get things together to regroup and continue to kind of throw punches down there and that's exactly what this nova team did and i think that is so impressive for them to not have to have a timeout regroup with their coach take a breath try and think things through they were able to do it on the court and that is really, really important. Last one, it's the simplest thing of all. It's a shout out to my, my friend Dan who stayed the whole weekend because he says this all the time, his free throws in March. And it, it, mm. it was a huge difference in this game. Ohio State, 6 of 11, that's 55%. Villanova, 17 for 20 from the line. Huge difference there. 
I was reminded of how spoiled we are and how mm. grateful I should be about how good of a free throw. I'm watching shooting every team other free throw shooting team in the country this past week. <laughs> Specifically, Armando Baycott. Oh yeah, I was watching that game. I, we have a lot more about the rest of the action from the weekend. But oh my god, if you are not being grateful for how good at the line Villanova is, you should be because. Oh my God, Dan, you are right. Free throws absolutely win games in March. That's a really good point. I have something about stars in general too, mm-hmm. because Ohio State was a weird team this year. I actually don't think EJ Liddell got enough credit as he deserved. But if you think about all the stars that have gone down so far, Oscar Shibway from Kentucky, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, Jabari Smith from Auburn, all the guys on Baylor, Volnova has Colin Gillespie, but you could argue that more players on that team have had better performances than Colin has. Like this team is just, we've said it so many times now, but this team is so balanced right now. And it has not looked this balanced maybe since January. Hmm. And even in January, that was their quote unquote weak part of the Big East conference schedule. So I am so happy with where this team is, where every single game, there seems to be a different hero. It was more in game one. It was Dixon and Samuels. And of course I, the difference is I still expect Colin Gillespie to have 15 points. (laughs) And so what he does, that puts him in a different category, (laughs) but it's just tough when you see how one dimensional Wisconsin is, when you see how one dimensional Ohio state is, that's that those aren't the type of teams that win in March it's the teams that have a lot more balance and Villanova has definitely talked themselves into that conversation yeah Villanova is still going to get where they get because Colin Gillespie is going to try and drag them there um, yes on his back but But he but he can't do it on his own I guess that's what I've really come to he absolutely cannot do it on his own anymore no no and and he's getting help he really is whether it be more whether it be Samuels whether it be Dixon Slater didn't even play too much of a role in either game defensively, he was a menace um, against Delaware, but on the offensive side, it didn't do too much there. There is help around this team. It has developed into a well-rounded offense and that's what gets you excited. They've won seven straight. Not bad. This team is also hot. Not bad. So I guess I'll ask you before we come into Thursday, again, we're going to spend the entire episode on Thursday, previewing Michigan, previewing a potential elite eight matchup as well confidence level that Villanova can get past Michigan though before we start uh I feel good and I'll leave it there because I don't want to I don't want to go too much in for Thursday okay I can appreciate that and I feel the same way okay it's not gonna be easy not gonna be easy but especially the surprising Michigan team man it's one way to put it (laughs) (laughs) you want to transition to the south then with that yeah let's do the south so we did a, a big south region uh preview last week and i think it's only right now that we do a, a mini south recap so is there a specific game that you wanted to start on i, I was to say just just looking around the south really quickly um to to see what's going on in it right now to do we start with our fellow big easter yeah yeah get the get the bad thing out of the way first I, it's because it, it also has lasting impact now with what happened yeah. too um but so tcu Kind of blew the doors off of Seton Hall. Not kind of. They did uh, blow the doors off. Yeah, of Seton it was Hall. it was embar- it was absolutely embarrassing to watch. Yeah. What a rough end to the Kevin Willard era for mm. for him with Seton Hall. Which just thinking of that Big East tournament as well, and really the season as a whole, where I think a lot of people were high on the Pirates and thought they could cause some damage, and they kind of squeaked past Georgetown. I know UConn didn't blow them out, but that game never felt fully competitive against Connecticut. 
and then to just get destroyed by TCU. Uh, it, it's a pretty bad look. What Kevin Willard did at Seton Hall is very impressive. He put them back on the map. He reestablished a culture. You know, he won league titles and, and all things like that. But whew, it was a rough way to end on his way out the door to Maryland. <laughs> yeah. Dana O'Neill put it perfectly on Twitter when this game was happening. She said, paraphrasing, this is what happens when you don't have any scores on your team and you hope that your defense stacks up. I wonder what Bryce Aiken's impact would have had on this team down the stretch across all the games that he missed because this team just could not score to save their lives. They scored 42 points in that first game and they didn't even, didn't even look it at points. I want to thank Dana O'Neill for listening to our Big East season preview because that is exactly how I phrased Seton Hall. Was yep. that I don't know how many points they're going to score this year, and Jared Roden yep. can of course put them in, but um, not not in the way that they really needed to, and not with without any help around him, which is exactly what happened. Yeah, again, it's a quick transition from the Big East tournament to the NCAA tournament, but I was rooting hard for all these Big East teams, and it was brutal to watch Seton Hall. That was one of the that was one of the worst games, to be honest with you, of the entire week. I didn't watch tough. too much of it because it was yeah, just it was so tough. non-competitive. Yeah, it yeah. was it it was a rough one. Uh, do you want to stick in? I, yeah, we'll, we'll stick in round one because I guess it kind of goes to to what you see here then. Michigan bounced back against Colorado mm. state, Colorado state came out flying against them. I believe they even built the lead to, it was either 30 to 15 or 30 to 13. At one point, Wolverines come all the way back. Not only do they do that, they then pull off the upset over Tennessee, the hottest team in the country, uh, possibly where they just never let them get into a rhythm. And because of that, Villanova's playing Michigan on Thursday night. I'll say it now. And then we can talk about it more. Michigan over Tennessee, I dubbed my biggest upset of the entire tournament so far. Uh, the Peacocks say what's up, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they say strut up actually. Yeah, but that's true. Taking that's true. out taking out St. Peter's, which we'll do a lot of when we get to our next part. Taking out St. Peter's, that was the most shocking game of this entire yes. tournament. Michigan, yes. you literally could have made an argument that they did not deserve to be in the field of sixty-eight. They did, and they go out and beat the hottest team in the country, the team coming off of their SEC tournament win. I thought Tennessee had it all, absolutely had it all. I thought a Villanova-Tennessee matchup would be one of the best games of the tournament. And they looked competitive, but Michigan looked like the better team throughout Mm -hmm. that entire game. They closed so well, too, which was very, very impressive. And I I do want to congratulate Michigan on becoming um, this year Syracuse that gets into the tournament when they don't deserve it. And then yeah, finds a way to win game. Yeah, you are not complimenting them. It's a backhand compliment. Um, and then finds a way to win games, which is what's that's what's important. You know, just get into this tournament. It's what everyone says all the time. And it's so true because yeah. you saw it right here with Michigan. No, they did not deserve to be in here. But as soon as they got in, they've gone on a stretch. They knocked off one of the toughest teams. And here they are going to the uh, the regional semifinal. Yeah, so I'll take it a step further. It's not a team that's making it to the semifinal, but I believe that Illinois' win over Chattanooga was the most fraudulent win of this tournament. I Hey, as I said, I did not get much right in this tournament. I told you Illinois was a bunch of frauds. You did. I am so disappointed that I lost that pick because like you, my bracket is in shambles. I'm sure most people's shambles. bracket is in shambles. Complete shambles. Obviously. But I think the final number was 39-14. The minutes and seconds that Chattanooga was leading in this game. Oh, yeah. That Illinois right. came away mm-hmm. with a 54 to 53 win. I mean, I, I was sad. The sure. way they got absolutely manhandled by Houston didn't help. 
but Chattanooga deserved to win that game and I will die on that hill. <laughs> yeah, I I want a Chattanooga to win. No, <laughs> I'm not even gonna try to go analyst mode where oh they could have. No, yeah. I was I was openly rooting for Chattanooga to win. Um, and, and Illinois fat just found a way at the end to come away with it. And then they went up against the Houston team, a Houston team that mind you can give Arizona some serious trouble oh, yeah. on Thursday with how Calvin Sampson's got those guys playing defense. Uh, that's a game that I cannot wait to see. Sadly, it's mm-hmm. going to happen very late going into a work night. So we'll see how much of that game I actually watch. Um, but prioritize, I am Pat. prioritize exactly. Uh, but I am pumped uh, for that matchup because Houston looks so good. I, we mentioned it, that it was a little weird that they were a five seed um, mm-hmm. when we were doing our preview and, oh boy, did it show up to the first two. Rounds. Yeah. They're making the people love them back. That's for sure. That is for sure. Uh, I guess the last one in the first round that I'll just say quickly, I was really surprised by how flat Loyola Chicago was. Oh, that you was an abomination of a game. Oh my God. It was pretty, so bad. Pretty confident that Loyola Chicago was going to be Villanova second round matchup and I mean, we talked about Seton Hall being bad. Loyola Chicago scored 41 points in the round of 64. I I had that game on and kind of in the background while I was working on on a Friday. And uh, I can't say I really looked over at it too much because it was just, no. <laughs> it was a brick every time up from both teams. Yeah. And then speaking of the complete opposite, Arizona TCU, the Ooh. last game of this epic weekend, the nine seed Horned Frogs pushed again arguably the hottest team in the country to overtime and just barely lost you and i both didn't stay up to overtime right no i yeah i passed out in the second half of that one yeah i mean i went to bed after benedict matherin's absolutely insane dunk that i think pretty much sealed it up in my mind so to wake up and see the Mm -hmm. tcu came back in the way they did is incredibly impressive but I was pretty scared watching that Arizona game. I'll be honest. If TCU can push them, anybody can. I truly believe that. But Arizona is lethal. And I just, let's just say I have a lot of my eggs in the Houston basket right now. Yeah, Houston, I'm so intrigued on how that matchup plays out just because Arizona might be the most talented team in the country on offense. Mm-hmm. I know that I know the Zags are no slouch over on that other side uh, of the bracket as well, but the, the ball movement is so beautiful how they attack. I, I love watching them. It's, it truly is enjoyable. So to see the contrasting styles, not to say that Houston can't score, they can, but they are predicated uh, on defense uh, zone is tough. And that TCU game was, was fun. I got to see a good portion of it before I did pass out. Um, we had some great matchups this week. It's as simple as that. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just having a tournament back is everything. And I'm telling you, if you did not see the Matherin dunk, pause this podcast and go look it up right now. It is yes. disgusting. Disgusting how good he is. It's, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that is probably good for the South. You want to move to the, the whole weekend? Yeah, absolutely. But before we move into the whole weekend, we have some news from our sponsors at 19.9. 19.9 creates original designs tailored to the nostalgia of the epic moments in college basketball history. They celebrate the eras, players, coaches, and the rivalries that make college basketball the sport we love. And speaking of rivalries, check out the apparel collection from 19.9 of Villanova University and the University of Connecticut. 19.9 restocked your favorite apparel and added new vintage items. Go to 19.9.com. That's numbers one nine and the word nine, all one word.com to grab the nostalgic gear you need. 
So there are some phenomenal podcasts out there that you can go listen to that spend a little bit of time on every single game for this weekend. Yes. We're not going to go that far in depth, but Pat and I were both really excited to have a little bit of a recap portion segment of this episode dedicated to looking back over the weekend, because I do believe this was one of the best opening weekends in tournament recent history, at least. So we have some fun questions, upsets, best games, best moments, bracket busters, the whole thing. We can take this relatively rapid fire. We can obviously Mm -hmm. delve into some things if we want to, but I'll start with you. I, I spoiled mine a little bit, but what was your biggest upset from this first weekend? I mean, the, the only option is, is St. Peter's uh, over yep. Kentucky. It just, <laughs> for how sweet that tasted as well to see Calipari go down in a year where it was finally, Kentucky's figured it out. This is, the, was, oldest, this yeah. is the oldest team Kentucky's had. Oh, they changed things up. It's not all freshmen going out there. They're so talented. And I feel like a lot of people, myself included, uh, really didn't pay too much attention to the fact that Kentucky did not finish the season well. They were warts. They they had some injuries. They struggled. They did not look good in the SEC tournaments. And a lot of people threw that out, including myself. I had them as a Final Four team. But to see them and just the stunning nature of them to get upset in the first round by a 15 seed, by St. Peter's, this tiny university in Jersey City, Wow. And, and that's March. Uh, that's March. And it's the incredible moments that go down to it. I, I always think of the Florida Gulf Coast over Georgetown mm-hmm. is one of those iconic ones that I think of St. Peter's now over a Coach Cal Kentucky team. That one's going down in history as well. So I don't know how many people know this listening. I'm a proud resident of Jersey City right now. <laughs> that's true. So I had not even heard of St. Peter's before this weekend. Did you? I mean, I, I don't feel fraudulent saying that. I had never even heard of them. Didn't know that they were in Jersey City. Uh, I just knew of them because of the MAC conference tournament because I have family that went to other MAC schools, but I can't okay. say I'd be able to tell you where they were or anything <laughs> <Yeah>. about them. <laughs> I know that they were very low on most metrics, um, but what a cool story. I actually have some funny stuff. So Shaheen Holloway has been making a ton of headlines this entire weekend head coach of St. Peter's, how much money the program will be making as a result of this, how much money he will be making as a result of this. The last time, Oh, what is the the stat about 2000? I believe it was the last time a a team in New Jersey made the sweet 16 was Seton hall when he was Hall in 2000. And of course, Shaheen Holloway was the point guard on that Mm -hmm. Seton hall team. So that's extremely cool. I also have some wild stats from Axios. Kentucky has four assistant coaches who make more than Shaheen Holloway. Yeah. And the Peacock's entire budget is $1.5 million. Let's just say Coach Cal's salary is a bit higher and by a bit $7.5 million more a year. So pretty remarkable that a team of that scale was able to beat the behemoth of Kentucky. And I actually think you set that up perfectly because – this was Kentucky's year. This was Everybody it. had them going far, and it's nice to see upsets and Cinderella teams, but Kentucky is no slouch at all. It's one thing to beat a four, five, six. Kentucky was one of those teams dubbed that could do it. And then to go out and then make it to the Sweet 16. I, I absolutely love what St. Peter's is doing. I love that there isn't a – NBA star. It's just a bunch of dudes with mustaches who go out and love to play basketball. And that's exactly what we need right now. 
That $1.5 million for the uh, the St. Peter's budget is probably the same amount Cal paid uh, Anthony Davis to go there all those years ago. Cat. I'm sorry. I, that's, I'll, Cat. I'll, I, I should try and behave myself more sometimes. <laughs> uh, other favorite part about St. Peter's, um, their arena is called Run Baby Run Arena, and I, yeah, just, I don't know how it can get better than that. <laughs> so go Peacock. that even came about, but God, the mascot. Wow, it's so cool. We can talk about this for an uh, entire episode. Not obviously. only that. It's going to be a home game at Wells Fargo. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But um, it's obviously it's very close to them with them playing the uh, the semifinal in Philly at Wells Fargo. So uh, probably not what anyone uh, expected um, for who was going to be playing in that game. But uh, location wise, not bad. Not a bad trip if you're a St. Peter's alum. I was going to, you're joking, but it actually, I mean, it's better than Purdue. Yeah. I don't know how many fans St. Peter's actually has. And that's the issue. (laughs) But I could see a lot of Philly Jersey people making their way out to Philly because why the hell not? Why not see a 15 seed take on Purdue? I do think it ends with Purdue. The other thing is that everyone that is there to root for either UNC or UCLA (laughs) will be rooting for St. Peter's in that building. Because of course, if their team wins, they would much rather play St. Peter's than have to deal with Purdue. So absolutely, uh, it's going to be fun on Friday night. I know that this team is not afraid as Sheen Holloway has been talking about. Uh, I don't know how much longer they can keep this up, but (laughs) uh, the story has already been written or is the the part of the story that's been written will go down in history. We'll see how much further it goes. And we've been saying that since the beginning and they continue to surprise us. So yeah, who knows? So like I said, I think Michigan over Tennessee was absolutely shocking. New Mexico state over Yukon. It happened a bunch of days ago at this Ooh, point, but that early. was really, really surprising. A lot of people were talking about Yukon being a dark horse of this entire tournament. And then, Ohio, excuse me, Iowa state over Wisconsin. I thought Wisconsin was the, the real deal. I have not yeah, watched absolutely. a lot of Johnny Davis this year. Watched him in the first round and uh, haven't forgot. I will not forget that anytime soon. To so, so to watch them go down, I believe they had the most turnovers all season long and they shot the worst that they had all season long. So that's not a great recipe for the Sweet 16. No, normally and not. Iowa State was able to capitalize. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, best game of the weekend. What do you got for this one? I want to throw credit first to Creighton and San Diego State with how Creighton mm. fought back in that game and was able to win it just to see them claw. But I felt like I had to go, and it, it, I don't even know if this is considered the obvious pick, but it was my favorite one, and it was UNC Baylor just yeah. for, for, what that, yeah, for what that game turned into. And I understand, of course, it was greatly influenced by Brady Manick being uh, ejected with the flagrant two. But for UNC to have a 25-point lead with 10 minutes remaining in this game and for Baylor to send it to overtime, I mean, to make the quick comparison here, and it's not apples to apples, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Villanova, of course, had the lead against Ohio State. Ohio State brought it down to two. It was Villanova wasn't playing poorly. Their shots just weren't falling, and Ohio State was making everything. Flip it to UNC Baylor. UNC looked like they forgot how to play basketball in the last time. It was some of the – they could not inbound. They could not dribble. Mm-hmm. They could not break the press. They could not figure could out make a, a shot. They made yeah. possibly my favorite pass I've ever seen where I forget who it was, but it was the guard was basically standing at half court and just chucked the ball at the backboard. Um, I, it was incredible. <laughs> some might consider that a shot. Pat. Yeah, some might consider it a shot. Um, I've never seen anything like that for just a team to completely lose everything. Um, and for Baylor to fight back in the way that they did, so, so impressive. What a game. I had a ton of fun watching it, and, and for me, it was my best game of the weekend. 
Yeah, it, this one was run away for me too. I think a lot of it was that it was the first game, which makes it really, that really probably nice played into it. Yeah, standalone game. Oh, I have so much to say. First is thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God <laughs> that UNC won, so that officiating would not be the narrative of Ooh, this tournament. Not good, not good. Because it still is, but again, regardless of who you're rooting for, thank God officiating was not the downfall of this game because if UNC had blown that lead with Brady Manick in the locker room, that is all anybody would be talking about this current moment. So I was really glad we were past that. I think it was absolutely abysmal. I could not believe the calls that were being called. The second thing is Baylor being a one seed, this being a huge upset, people hating UNC, Baylor being the reigning champs. All of that comes into this being a really disappointing end for Baylor And I actually don't think that could be any more wrong. The fact that Baylor was still named a one seed and pushed UNC to the brink, despite being down 25 without all the injuries, everybody we said at the beginning of the episode, that is remarkable. 25 points. They were down with 10 minutes left in that game. I could not believe it. I absolutely love Scott drew. I love all the guys on that team. And let's also not forget how hard it is for reigning champs to make it even far in this tournament. We're we're past repeating because that is near impossible. Mm -hmm. No reigning men's champion has advanced past the Sweet 16 since Florida repeated in 2007. And I don't think any champ has even gotten to the Sweet 16 in the last five years. It's been, it's a crazy stat. I actually think it's supremely underrated. I think that is so cool and just talks about how great this tournament is, but Baylor deserves a lot of credit for even showing up in that game, especially in those last 10 minutes. Scott Drew. Like it's it's Scott Drew. He's he's such, yeah, such a great coach. Some of his reactions too. Oh my God. It was was so enjoyed that game. That game had everything. It was great. I I thought that's definitely the one that you look back on from this first weekend. And I'm like, yep, that's the one I remember. And uh, I'm really excited. was able to watch it. Yeah. So really quickly that this is sort of like the, the upset because it talks about uh, Cinderella teams, but who do you think is the most improbable team left in the field? Ooh, improbable team left. That's a good one, and that's one that I had not prepared, if I'm being completely honest <laughs> I, with you. I can, I can go first I mean, if you want to take a little bit of time. I, I can take it. It'll be very quick. It's Michigan. It, it is. Mm. I, as, as I said, I did not think they deserved to be in this tournament. I thought Colorado State was going to be very good. What a brutal showing, by the way, by their conference yeah. to get you know so oh, many God, teams right. in and just yeah. completely oh, lay an egg. six, I think. Yeah, right? it was, it was yeah. bad uh, for that showing. Not only to then beat them, but as we said, the Tennessee win is, is shocking. It, it is. I, I know it doesn't hit you. Michigan beating Tennessee doesn't hit you the same way as St. Peter's hits Kentucky. Totally get that. But when you take in all the circumstances of Michigan, what they've gone through, how they've played, Tennessee, how they've been playing, I, never in a million years would I have, have guessed that that Michigan beats Tennessee to get to the Sweet 16. Yeah, I feel the same way. And obviously this answer is St. Peter's, but we're trying to we're trying to do something yes. different. Yeah, of too. course, exactly. <laughs> Mine is Ohio, Iowa State. I keep saying Ohio State. Mine is Iowa State. And it's because if you don't much don't know much about Iowa State, they were one of the worst teams in the country last year. They were two and twenty-two. And they went winless in conference play. Again, it was the Big 12, which is one of the big, one of the best conferences in the country. For sure. But 0-18 in Big 12 play, they come out this year 
an upset number six LSU in the first round, which is actually a pick that I believe you and I both had because LSU was just a nightmare right now. But then they go out in the round of 32 and beat Wisconsin. That's a big time win. And they had already made history as the team with the lowest winning percentage in the previous season to win a game in this year's NCAA tournament. So I don't know how long this goes on for, but I think that program found itself again after an abysmal year last year. Yeah. And what they do, they defend and they defend like yeah. the, the fifth best team in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm, the fourth best at forcing turnovers. And they allow the, they have the eighth best three point percentage allowed against them. It, it's all about defense with this team. They make things really difficult. And you saw that through the first two games, 54 points allowed against LSU 49 against Wisconsin. Yeah. They are going to try and grind you out, slow things down. And uh, it, it has worked. I mean, and talk about maybe maybe luck or maybe karma working its way. They have the 10 seed Miami. That is a Sweet 16 matchup mm-hmm. in the Midwest region. 11 Iowa State versus number 10 Miami. So I, as I said before, I, I really got very little right about the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament. But the other team I told you is a fraud was Auburn. So very, then oh, yeah. they, they went down too. Uh, it's just, they way too, you never know what you're going to get too focused <sighs> on offense. And I could not be less surprised that they went out before the second weekend. But could you be more surprised that they lost by 18 to Miami? Didn't expect a blowout, but, <laughs> yeah. but really did not. I, I picked them to lose here. Um, I had okay. USC though. Um, but okay. I just, I that, I've, I've watched that team all year and it's just, there was something about them that just never felt right. Yeah. I also had USC beating Auburn, but I did not expect Walker Kessler to not have a point. Yeah. I didn't expect Jabari Smith to be that bad. They literally couldn't buy a bucket. So yeah, that was surprising in the manner in which they won. Not that they were inconsistent because that's the the version of this team we saw mostly all year long, besides that really good stretch in January. For sure. Um, Maybe another question that you didn't prepare for, but switching Uh gears a little bit, we just said most improbable. Who is the most dangerous team left? Most dangerous team left. I like that question. Uh, I think it is the UCLA Bruins. I I look at this team. No. Yep. I look at this team as a four wow. seed. I look at their path now as well, and that's important, where they play UNC here in the Sweet 16, which is, of course, a much – I know UNC is playing well, but UCLA would rather play UNC than Baylor. Um, mm-hmm. I think with Purdue and how Purdue is not a defensive team, they're all about offense. UCLA certainly has the ability to exploit when that offense is humming. And the fact that Johnny Juzang has yet to put it all together, just 14 points against St. Mary's nine against Akron, even going back to the, uh, eight pack 12, excuse me. I'm going to just throw a bunch of different conferences out there. Um, semifinal, we had 10 against USC. Juzang is not in a groove right now. So you just let that man catch fire along with what else, everything else UCLA is doing, this team certainly has the ability to get to the final four and see what, what can happen from there. Oh, well, I love your confidence and your optimism. Thank you. Juzang might not have another option if he doesn't have <laughs> his main man with him. I know. I know. It's tough. Jaime Hawkes went out with an ankle injury. It was really, really bad. Brutal to watch. Yes. And Mick Cronin basically said if he can walk, he'll play. But – of course, we won't know for sure until the next few days. Hilarious that you went with UCLA because I think Purdue is the most dangerous team I was left. hoping you were going to say UNC. I'm like, oh, we're going to go straight matchup. <laughs> straight matchup. I don't know. I mean, UNC is making a case for itself for sure. 
I picked UNC. I, I, see, there you go. Gotcha. Um, I picked Purdue to win my bracket. I've been high on them all season long. I think mm-hmm. Jaden Ivey is the best. Superstar. Uh, superstar. I'll superstar. say it there. Yeah. I said um, Ivey is better than Paolo. Uh, no, Ivey is better than Chet, who's better than Paolo. <laughs> just for all those out <laughs> just there. Just to get it out there. Just to get it out there. Um, I don't care that they're not that great at defense because I think this offense can absolutely pound anybody. Travion Williams was a beast against Texas. Zach Eady hasn't been great the last few games. I, I, I have confidence that he can step up, and it's the Jaden Ivey show on offense. Neither of us said Gonzaga. <laughs> and after watching them against Memphis, especially in that second half, I actually did text Pat and say, I think this team's going to win it all going mm-hmm. against my Purdue pick, but I got to stick to my guns here. Yeah, I, I just wanted to be different. Of course, Gonzaga and Arizona are probably the top yeah. two teams that you would look at yeah. here, but I, I think UCLA is one worth watching. And Purdue, certainly. Purdue was my other option, funny enough, as you said, really? that I looked at. Yes, that I, I look that's at funny. and say, that's a team when firing on all, on all cylinders is very difficult to defend. Yeah, and I was thinking so much. We said that we were happy Nova wasn't placed in the East region because it was just too much of a nightmare. And mm-hmm. the one and the two seed is gone from that reason, which is just hysterical. We're still talking about it being one of the toughest conferences and you've got the eight, four, three and 15 left. <laughs> yeah. I would say true, but it would face them into a matchup with either Purdue or UCLA most likely. Yeah. And no, uh, thank you. I think we've seen that story once or twice already this season. Yeah. And, and the big reason why they were able to get past St. Mary's, which I wasn't fully confident about is because of uh, Cody Riley, yes. who has just become a Beast. He played over Miles Johnson and McCrona was rewarded because he was so good in that game. Yeah, they're, they're tough. So, they're tough. But yeah, of course, they're, they're well balanced. Yeah, of course, Hawkeye's health is incredibly integral yes. to how that team operates. Yeah. And then um, I think we have one more, right? Your biggest bracket buster besides St. Peter's, obviously, because I'm sorry, but if you picked St. Peter's, you just. Congratulations. Y- it was a lucky guess. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lucky guess. Uh, this was an easy one for me, actually. Uh, it was uh, Richmond uh, taking out Iowa oh. in the first round. And it is because I had Iowa in my final four, because mm. which I just, I got sucked into the hot team out of the Big Ten. And I don't know why, because the Big Ten only lets you down and only brings pain come this time of year. We'll see if Purdue is able to reverse the curse. They certainly have an ability to, but I I really thought Iowa was was going to be able to cause some some real trouble in the Midwest region and just completely fell flat and let Richmond get the upset. Poor Fran McCaffrey, yeah. <laughs> poor guy, <laughs> poor guy. Uh, but that being said, I feel absolutely no remorse for the big 10 because they're all frauds. <laughs> Every single one of them. Besides Be Purdue, careful obviously. after you just pick Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> Besides Purdue, obviously. Uh, I also cannot go. So mine was Miami. I had absolutely no idea Miami was going to go on this type of a run. Mm. The other answer to that was anybody that lost to Purdue, uh, not to Purdue, anybody that lost to Duke. (laughs) (laughs) Because looking back again, might have just been a hot-headed moment for me. I had Davidson over Michigan State and Davidson over Duke. So that side of my bracket is not looking great right now. Mm. But that was one of the worst choke jobs I've ever seen by Michigan State, talking about teams that forgot how to function in the last few minutes of the game. Like you said about UNC, Michigan State, had absolutely no idea what it was doing. So that was a brutal few minutes to watch. Yeah. As you know, I also had Davidson uh, over Duke. So uh, not not pretty on my part either. 
Yeah. And then I also cannot go through this entire episode without talking about the Providence Friars. Yes. I would like you to apologize to my mother on this podcast. She said she was going to send you a letter airing her grievances. Please do. After your takes last week. Um, should, should we play into the luck that Providence beat a 13 seed and a 12 seed that to get is to the Swiss? So I'm rude. kidding. I'm not Absolutely doing it. I know. Not. I know. I was, I said that just to, uh, just to set people off. Um, no, the Friars played really well. I, I thought South Dakota yeah. state was going to give them some, some real issues. Um, and at times they did, but Providence weathered the storm and, and pulled away. And then against Richmond, I mean, at watching Al Durham kind of go to work, uh, yeah. against the spiders was really impressive and, and they blew him out, which is Super, super impressive. So hats off to Cooley and, you know, that program. And of course, love to give them a little bit of crap because it's fun. Um, yeah. But uh, to get to a Sweet 16 is, of course, very, very impressive. And they've got a chance to, if for Providence mm. and all the things that people say about them and all the things Providence says about themselves, here's your opportunity. Here's a game with number yeah. one Kansas. Go show me what you got. So looking back, I actually had Providence over Iowa, which I swear to God, I don't remember doing because I I'm obviously very pro Providence, but I'm realistic. And I don't know what possessed me to pick Providence over Iowa, but that side of my bracket is looking pretty good right now. There we go. I did predict Kansas and Providence. That being said, when this team has it, they just have it. And, and I think Cooley's working a little bit of that magic. So I don't think this game is as locked up as a lot of people think that one versus four. But yeah, you nailed it. Noah Horkler's back. He had been yes. absent for far too long. So his reemergence to, into this season is very much needed. Bynum has been quiet. So mm-hmm. I think for him to come back against Kansas will be really, really important. And then the last thing about that matchup, Kansas isn't particularly big. They have David McCormick, McCormick but yeah. he's not great. He's not a great big for no. a team like Kansas that you would expect to be dominant in the post. So this could come down to Nate Watson, who, man, he gets all the credit, but I I really don't think it's deserved. I think so Mm -hmm. many more players on Providence have had better seasons than Nate Watson has had. And people can still continue to talk about him, but this team, this team still lives and dies with Al Durham and just how many takes, just how many shots he can take. And still get up. It is it is wild to watch that dude I, perform. <laughs> I'm excited for that game. Uh, I really yeah. am. Yeah, Kansas is definitely more predicated on their guard play uh, and wing mm-hmm. play with Obagi and and Brown and, and all of that. So I'm. It's going to be fun because this is this is your true test that I think Providence has kind of wanted all year because of course they they weren't able to beat Villanova in the two matchups. This is bigger than that. It's an NCAA tournament game. So yeah, I'm, and then uh, again, I'm quite excited. You- if you get past Kansas, you get either Iowa State or Miami for a chance to or, go to no, again, Yeah, that's a that's big. Mm-hmm. That's big. I'm excited for it. Thursday and Friday night are going to be really, really awesome. Yeah, and, and it's really, good. It's good wait. for the Big East too to have two of the yep. Sweet Sixteen. That's uh, that's important for the conference as they continue to grow. So um, let's do it. Yeah, two of my I had a, a conference take, which was the Big Ten one, and the second was that I I do think that the Big East has to figure out a way to get more wins in the NCAA tournament, but it does make that a little easier having Villanova and Providence. Uh, UConn completely let the conference down. Yeah, I mean I, I can say that as to poke them, but also as a as a true thing, they 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 cannot lose that first round game. No way. Yeah. So, but hey, Villanova and Providence still playing. Two is not bad. Two is not bad, especially when one of them's Nova. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, that was really fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And then, of course, on Thursday, we will be 
extremely Nova-centric previewing that 2018 title rematch. That's going to have a lot to say about Michigan. So uh, I'm excited. Buckle up, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a fun one. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for plenty of content to get you ready for Michigan on Thursday night. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N pod. I hope everyone helps you know to try to get through these next couple days i know there's no tournament action uh on tuesday and wednesday it's going to be very difficult to get through but if we all band together we we can do it and thursday night it returns and we will talk to you on thursday morning so until then nova nation that's a wrap